Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. As we have been looking at this incredible man in Scripture, uh, Joseph, uh, you know, what I just said is not accurate. I said that he was an incredible man. Was was Joseph an incredible man? Huh? I don't think Joseph. No, Joseph Joseph wouldn't have said that he was. But he was an incredible man of faith. That made him an incredible man. And <clears throat> As we have been looking at his life, and oftentimes after a revival week like we've had, the following Sunday, I usually uh, have tried to preach a message trying to encourage what was preached the week before, if that makes sense. And as I, as I thought about it and prayed about it, God directed me back to, to the wife of Joseph. And I, I can't think of anything more appropriate than the faithfulness of Joseph uh, to, to speak on after a week of revival. Because it was his faith that set him apart from everybody else. I want to take a minute and go back to our timeline, uh, if, uh, if you don't mind, because th- this is something, and I told you at the very beginning, you're going to be seeing this timeline a lot. <clears throat> so God's timeline for the life of Joseph. Um, again, I want to emphasize this is God's timeline, not Joseph's timeline. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> God, God has a timeline for every one of you, for every one of us. And <clears throat> the, the thing that we have to remember is our timeline is going to be different from everybody else's. So we cannot expect everybody else to be on our timeline. But that's what we do sometimes. And Joseph had his own timeline. So uh, the first the first we see the ultimate goal was in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. And we're, I'm not going to read that, but basically the ultimate goal in Joseph's life was to save the nation of Israel, to save his family from famine. <clears throat> It started by him being sold into slavery. He was bought by a guy named Potiphar. And we talked about the need that in order to accomplish the ultimate goal, God had to take him through Potiphar's house. He he had to be sold to slavery. He had to go through Potiphar's house. Uh, and then, and then there are two tests that come immediately following. Uh, you can go ahead and jump two slides there, Chris. Oh, I said, okay, yeah, go ahead and jump one more. Okay, so all of this is happening so that Joseph is prepared to become the prime minister of Egypt, so that he can accomplish the ultimate goal. Is there another slide, or is that the last one? 
Oh, and then prison. Okay, yeah, and because where we're at in the story, he's in prison. Now, I want to stop and, I, and, and say this because I feel like I'm, I'm beating a dead horse, <clears throat> but it's important. See, we have a timeline. And God has an ultimate goal for your life. Now, we don't know what that goal is. When Joseph was sold into slavery, when he was bought by a guy named Potiphar, when he went through the test and he ends up in prison where, he, where we're at now, Joseph had no idea that he was soon going to be the prime minister of Egypt. And, and even then, he had no idea what God had in store for him. It, 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 he had no clue. But Joseph stayed faithful through all of those things. And I can't think of a better message after a week of revival than to stay faithful. It is so easy for us to get discouraged with the challenges that we face on a daily basis. After a week of revival, it's, it's easy to, to hear the messages and say, okay, God, I'm going to change this in my life. And then reality hits and life happens. And what do we do? We go back. And we get discouraged. Now I want to, I want to stop and I want to think about something. <clears throat> At this point of Joseph's life, he's in prison for something he didn't commit. He he was sold into slavery by his own brothers. Nothing that has happened to him up to this point was his was was of his doing. Okay. Would it wouldn't wouldn't it be easy for us to at at this point in his life, if you if you had not read the rest of the Bible and you had no idea what happens to Joseph, wouldn't it be easy for us to say that he's a victim? Absolutely, it would be. But let's consider the fact that he becomes the prime minister of Egypt, that he fulfills the ultimate goal that God has for him in his life, the end of the story, if you would. And we can look at, the, at his life at the end in Genesis chapter 50, and we look at Joseph's life and all that he accomplished, would we still call him a victim? No, we probably would not. Why? Because he was the second most powerful man in the entire world. He had everything earthly that he could ever desire was at his fingertips. Plus, not only all that, worldly possessions, but he fulfilled the ultimate will of God for his life. The title of my message this, this, this morning <clears throat> is Victim 
or victor? Was Joseph a victim or was he victor? Let's start reading in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not at anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Verse, or chapter 40 and verse 1, And it came to pass after these things that the butler and the, and the king of Egypt Excuse me, came to pass that these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against uh, two of these, uh, two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them inward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season inward. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of the dream. The butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison, and Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, <clears throat> they were sad. And he said, excuse me, and he asked Pharaoh's officers what were uh, with him uh, uh, in the uh, in the in the word in the ward, excuse me, of of his lord's house, saying. Wherefore, look ye so sadly today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love, for the work that you do in our lives and for the work that you did in our lives last week. And I, I am so thankful for that. And Lord, I ask that you would speak to our hearts once again this morning. And Lord, that you would help us because we are a needy people. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now I want to ask, I want, to, I want you to think about this. How did Joseph make the jump from being a victim to being a victor? Okay. And what I did is I asked myself that question and and. I did. I've, I've done a lot of research, a lot of reading. Uh, uh, I, I have read, I don't know how many different books written about Joseph. And the one thing that I keep seeing coming up in the Bible and in the in the commentaries, the different things that I've read, and there seems to be a universal thought here, is Joseph had the right attitude. 
he had the right attitude. Now, now faith and attitude, I think, go kind of hand in hand. But Joseph added, Joseph's attitude was right. He had, a, he had the right heart attitude. <clears throat> so I, I think, in this case, the thing that separates the, victor, the victim from the victor is attitude. 1979, on my mom and dad's 25th anniversary, they put me on a bus for San Diego, California. That's where boot camp was. And I remember being in boot camp down in San Diego. Yes, ma'am, for the Navy. Um, Those of you that have heard the horror stories of boot camp, I don't care what branch it is, uh, or at least it was. I don't know what it's like now. Uh, are the, the stories you've heard are probably true. And <clears throat> boot camp is... Anyway, at one night... Well, actually, it was early in the morning. I was standing the the four to the four to eight watch those of you that are not not military that means four in the morning to eight in the morning <clears throat> so i was standing the four to eight watch and i was I, I i had become really discouraged because at that point boot camp you know we had been there a while and and it was really intensive at that point and it was really starting to wear me down and i wasn't sure i was going to make it and I remember standing this watch, and I, the the barracks only had one window in it. And I remember standing at that window and kind of thinking and, and everything about boot camp. And as the sun was coming up, the Navy boot camp was right next to the Marine Corps boot camp. Okay? Yeah, Bob knows he was there. <laughs> And I, I remember standing there looking out this window as the sun was coming up just in time to see all these Marines running around. And I thought, I've got it easy. And I turned around and all my buddies are sleeping, yeah. you know. And it dawned on me The problem was not with boot camp. The problem was with me. And that day, my attitude changed. Now, boot camp was still hard. They they still do the mind games. Those of you that have been through boot camp know what I'm talking about. 90% of the problem of boot camp is they, they mess with your mind. But boot camp became a lot easier. Why? Because my attitude changed. The the problems were still there. And I believe this, that anyone or everyone that survives boot camp of any, any of the services, somewhere along the way, has to have an attitude change. 
because I, I have seen firsthand the result of those that did not change the attitude. I, I saw guys that could not handle the pressure of boot camp and, and, and signed documents that they lied to get in the military so that they could get out. Dishonorably discharged because they couldn't handle the pressure. Now, physically, every one of them was capable of, of, of finishing, but they never allowed their attitude to change. I believe Joseph would have never been able to endure the hardship that he endured had he had the wrong attitude. This morning, let's point number one. Let's look at his faith. Look at chapter 40. See, part of, part of the problem is we read this story. We, we start with, with chapter 39, verses 21 to 23, where we see Joseph in charge of the prison. And we think, wow, you know, this guy, yeah, he was in prison, but he, he had it easy. You know, he, he, you know, he, was, he, he had the comfort, if you would. If there was a, you know, prison today, you know, they have cable TV and stuff in prison today. And, you know, had they had cable TV back then, Joseph probably would have had access to it and all this stuff. But the reality is that's not where Joseph started. Look at chapter 40 in verse 15. <clears throat> For indeed, I was uh, uh, stolen away out of the uh, land of the Hebrews. And here also have I done nothing that they should put me into what? The dungeon. See, Joseph was taken from the house of Potiphar and he was put in the dungeon. He did not come into favor with the warden, if you would, until several years later. Now, we don't know exactly how long Joseph spent in prison. The best we can tell is he went to prison. He was 21, 22 years old, somewhere in there, okay? We, we don't really know, but that's the best we can figure. Hey, buddy. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, so he, he, was, he was in his early 20s, probably 21, 22 years old. Now, we do know that when he becomes the prime minister of Egypt, he's 30. So best guess scenario, he is in prison at least eight years. So this process started in the dungeon. And the, and the story we read in, in, in chapter 39, verses 21 to 23, where he is in charge of the prison, takes place years later. So Joseph has to prove himself again, if you would. Just as in Potiphar's household, Joseph spent many years serving Potiphar. Potiphar eventually saw Joseph's faithfulness to the Lord. 
And the same thing in the prison. The, the warden of the prison eventually saw Joseph's faithfulness to the Lord. Look at verse 23. And the keeper of the prison looked not uh, to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Let me say this. It is our faithfulness that people see. People around us, your friends, your neighbors, your family members. It is your faithfulness to the Lord that people see and don't understand. Hey, don't worry about him. He's fine. <clears throat> faithfulness. I got a picture for you. Now, I, I, I decided to show you this guy's picture because I have no idea how to say his name. Okay? Um, I, his first name is Alexander, and it's about this long, and it's Russian. Okay? I have no how, I, I don't know how to say it. Anyway, Alexander spent <clears throat> eight years in a Soviet gulag, and he wrote a, he wrote a book named The Gulag Archipelago. And he describes in this book his spiritual awakening, if you would. Let me read it to you. In the intoxication of youth, youthful success, I had felt myself to be infallible. And I was therefore cruel. In the... Sir, I don't um, anyway, I was a murderer and an oppressor. In my most evil moments, I was con, uh, convinced that I was doing good. And I was willing, I was well supplied with uh, systematic arguments. It was not only when I lay there on my rotting prison straw, that I sensed within myself the first stirrings of good. Gradually, it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passed not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but rather through every human heart and through all human hearts. That is why... I turn back to the years of my imprisonment and say something to the astonishment of those about me. Bless you, prison. Bless you. Because it was there God became real. So often, this man, and my understanding is that this man was... He worked for the Soviet government and, and he was a persecutor of believers. And something happened. I don't know the full story, but something happened where he ended up in prison. And it was in prison that he found God. And Joseph did not shy from prison. 
but he used prison to serve God. And so often in our lives, we take these moments and we do everything we can to avoid difficult situations, hard situations. But for this man, it was in prison where he found God. And it is in prison that we can find God and serve God. As I read his story, I, I thought of the psalmist David when he wrote Psalm chapter 119, verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. I believe Joseph's faith was strong because of the foundation of his faith. His attitude was right because of the foundation of his faith. Psalm chapter 145, verse 18, The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. Psalm chapter 18, verse 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom will I trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. There are multiple adjectives here describing how God can be your foundation, how he can be your strength. But there's a prerequisite prerequisite to that. And that is you need to let him. He will be those things for you. And he was that for Joseph. So we see Joseph's faith. Uh, Number two, let's look at his humanity. In verses uh, one through four of uh, of the passage we just read, we see that, uh, and and it came to pass after these things that the butler uh, of the king of Egypt and the baker had offended their lord, uh, the king of Egypt, and they were thrown into prison. But look at verse four. And the captain of guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season inward. Joseph served them. And as I read that, as I read that, I thought, wait, whoa, 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 stop, stop, think about this. Were they not prisoners? The, the butler and the baker? They were, they were in prison. They were prisoners. And before before they went to prison, weren't they servants? And as I thought about that, I thought, wait a minute. If they are, if, if all three of those, Joseph, the butler, and the baker, all three of them are in prison, doesn't that make them equals? I mean, I've been out to the Lovelock prison uh, uh, multiple times, and I've never seen uh, anybody in that prison who serves other prisoners. I've just never seen it. They're all equals. But yet Joseph served these two guys. 
there is an important lesson, I believe, in this, and that God brings people into our lives for a reason. We don't always understand. In fact, Joseph had no idea the role that these two guys were going to play in his life. Those of you that know the story know that. If, if you don't know the story, we'll get there, okay? But these two guys played an important role in Joseph's life. And Joseph had no idea. But it's easy to say, but pastor, you don't, you have no idea what this person did to me. You don't, you, you don't have, you, you, you don't have any idea. And the reality is, I, I don't. But I do know this. One of my most favorite verses, and I say that a lot, but I have a lot of favorite verses. So, <clears throat> Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Now, I want to I stop right here. I want to park on this for just a second, because th- this is an incredible verse. And those of you that know me know what I'm about to say is true. I, I have no desire to hurt or offend anyone. I have no desire for that. And again, if you know me, you know that to be true. <clears throat> that, that, is not, that is not who I am. I don't go around purposely offending anybody. But if the word of God offends you, I can't help that. Okay, do, do y'all understand that? Hello, talk to me here. Okay, you have to take that up with God. But I want you to look at this verse, and I really want you to listen and pay attention to what this verse says. Great peace. Do you want peace in your life? Do you want great peace? It is available to you. Great peace. Have they? which love thy law. In other words, you can have great peace if you love this book. Isn't that an awesome truth? Talk to me. Okay. (laughs) Okay, that is an incredible truth. But what does the rest of the verse say? And nothing shall offend thee. So what is the understood truth of that? If you have been offended by someone, then you're not in love with the book. If you've been hurt by someone, and we all have, and we and 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 the word the word here it's it's talking about to continually be offended, okay? and you hold on to that bitterness, then you don't love the book. That's not me saying that. That's God. And if you will fall in love with this book and let go of that bitterness, great peace is available to you. That is an incredible truth. And Joseph, you'd say, how could Joseph have been sold into slavery by his own brothers, um, lied about, 
worked as a slave in prison and all of these things, yet he had the ability to serve others. How could he do that with the right attitude? It's because he loved, he loved the word of God. He loved the Lord. He had the right attitude. In verse 4, the word serve here carries with it kind of a a spiritual context to it. And in other words, the way I understand it, the word serve here means that Joseph looked at his job in the prison as a ministry. Does that make sense? Because of the spiritual context of the word, that's how I understand it. And and Joseph didn't look at it as just a job, but it was a job that God gave him to do. And here Joseph was doing the job that he believed God gave him to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Our secular jobs are our ministries. Just a little side note there. But God had brought these two men into Joseph's life for a reason. He didn't know why, but God allowed Joseph to be in prison for a reason. He didn't know why, but he had faith. He had the faith to just believe. Number three, and we'll, we'll be done. <clears throat> we, saw, we see jo- Joseph's faith, his humanity. I want to take a look at his compassion. Joseph's compassion. Because he was a very, pretty amazing guy. He very, very compassionate. Look at verse five. And they dreamed... A dream, both of them, each man, um, his dream, and one night, each man, according to the interpretation of his dream, uh, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound uh, in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he, and he asked Pharaoh's officers, and they were, uh, excuse me, that were with him in Uh, in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore, look ye so sadly today. As I read these verses, I thought of Jude chapter, well, there's only one chapter in Jude. (laughs) Jude, verse 22, it says, And some have compassion, making a difference. And as I as I looked at the life of Joseph and I and I thought, you know what, this guy's compassion made a difference. Joseph had compassion. And I want to see his compassion in two ways. First is he saw their sadness. He saw their sadness. 
Verse 6 says, And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. They didn't have to say a word. Joseph knew them well enough that when he walked into the prison cell or wherever wherever they were, that Joseph recognized by their countenance that something was wrong. How many of you have ever uh, uh, seen that, walked up to someone and say, hey, what's wrong? Having not said a word. You, you, you see their countenance is, is down. And Joseph knew them well enough that he saw. Now, I want to say this, and we've talked about this. There's a difference between listening and hearing, isn't, isn't there? Okay. Kids listen, but they don't hear. Right, parents? Okay. My wife would say men hear, but they don't listen or, or whatever. I don't know. Uh, they listen, but they don't hear. Anyway, you, you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> I don't think that's true, but my wife would disagree with me. And actually, she is very true. I, I get in my little bubble. and Anyway, um, but there's also a big difference between looking and seeing. And a person who cares about other people, who is compassionate, doesn't just look at situations, but sees what's going on. And Joseph was a person, because of his compassion, as soon as he walked into the cell or wherever they were, he saw that something was wrong. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by a ship and into the, a desert place Apart, And when the people had heard uh, thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward him. And he healed their sick. Now, I want to point out something here very important because <clears throat> a great multitude, Jesus needed to just get away. OK, his his ministry was wearing him down physically. And he just needed to rest. So he departs into a desert place, the Bible says. And in other words, he just wanted to get away. How many, isn't it great to just get away sometimes? But that's what he wanted. He wanted to just get away, get, get all the busyness and everything. He just wanted to get away. And as he did that, the people heard about it and they left the cities. The word cities there is plural. So multiple, so this, this group that follows him is a, is a very large group of people. So do you think Jesus could hear them coming? I would think so. But what was it that moved Jesus to compassion? Not until he saw them. Jesus went forth, and when he saw the great multitude. Why is that so important? I believe the answer to that is in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 51. Mine eye affecteth my heart because of all the daughters of the city. My eye affecteth my heart. 
you know, there's a direct connection between the eye and the heart. We can hear things. They don't affect us the same way as when we see them. And Joseph was a man of compassion. And when he saw, when he saw them, he, his, his heart was moved with compassion. The eye affected the heart. What I, what I concentrate on, what I pay attention to, affects the way I live. Question, what do, you, what do you pay attention to? What do you concentrate on? The second way that he demonstrated his compassion, we see in verse 7, is he inquired about their sadness. Look at verse 7. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of the Lord's of of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? He got involved. We live in a society today that tells us not to get involved. Joseph was in a place. Joseph was a prisoner himself. And Joseph was in a place where it would have been easy for him to just turn and walk away. Or... Joseph could have said, hey, guys, build a bridge and get over it. You know, our, our society, we have, we literally have hundreds of euphemisms for, for things like that. We could, he could have said, hey, handed him his cell phone and said, here, call 1-800-WAH, you know. Yeah, I mean, we, we do. We, do we not? But the reality is Joseph cared. He was moved with compassion. And so often we, we are not. We see it. And, and I'm, I'm preaching it myself here because I, I, have a, I, I tend to be somewhat critical when it comes to this. Because I look at Joseph's life and I, and I, say, I say this, you know what, if I had been Joseph... I would have, and I'm just being honest, I would have probably said something to the effect of, guys, you have nothing to cry about. Let me tell you my story. Right? I'm just telling you, that's probably somewhere along the line of what I would have said. But yet Joseph didn't. Having compassion, making a difference. Jesus was one that was a man of compassion. In Mark chapter 5, verse 25 and following, says, And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all she had, and was nothing... uh, and was uh, nothing uh, bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had <clears throat> heard of Jesus, came in the in the press uh, behind, and touched his garment, she said, "If I may touch but his clothes, 
I shall be made whole. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing of himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him apart, excuse me, turned him about in the press and said, Who toucheth my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? I, I, I love that verse. I love that. You know, here Jesus is surrounded by all these people, and they're all touching and trying to get him, get his attention. And this one woman see, sneaks in behind him and just touches the hem of his clothes. And she was healed. And he could feel the virtue that says that to. And then he stops and says, okay, who touched me? Well, that, you know, his disciples are like, what? What are you talking about? Then 600 people just touched you, you know? And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith had made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Jesus was a man of compassion. This poor woman had for 12 years had suffered, had gone to multiple doctors and the doctors had done horrible things to her according to this passage, trying to heal her. And all she had to do was touch the hem of Jesus and Jesus had compassion on her. Jesus had the kind of compassion that made a difference. Joseph had the kind of compassion that made a difference. We need that kind of compassion. It starts with having the right attitude. It starts by having the right attitude. Our attitude will determine whether we will be victims or we will be victors. It's up to us. Choice is yours. Joseph was not a victim. He was a victor. Even in prison, he was victorious. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, as we <clears throat> as we bring our service to an end this morning, I ask that you would speak to our hearts. That you would help us to see you like never before. <coughs> Having compassion that makes a difference. Having the right kind of attitude in difficult situations, circumstances. Our strength comes from you, not from within. And Lord, as we ask you to once again work in our hearts, I ask that you would start with me. 
that, that you would help me to have the right attitudes. That you would help me to be a compassionate, loving person. Because the world is watching. And there's nothing more important to me than to demonstrate the love of Christ to a world that is desperately in need of love. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you, is God's